So welcome to our podcast. Let's talk faith and justice. Uh, I just conferred with Ivy before we started because I can't keep track of these things. We're pretty sure this is season two, episode three, that you're going to be um, hearing the conversation for. And before we get to that, we just wanted to kind of talk about what's going on with BFJN because it feels like we have a lot of irons in the fire. Is that a good analogy? Yes, I think so. And I don't know why it seems like, at least for me, it's been a while since I've been on an intro because um, I know we've been doing like one-offs and, and things like that. But, you know, just I'm still in awe when I think of like our podcast and when we started and now we're in our second year and we recently just, you know, updated our logo, which I don't know if it's as exciting for other people as it was for me. <laughs> Very exciting and lovely. <laughs> um. But just so thankful for how God has just continued to move through us and through BFJN as an organization and being able to respond um, to the you know current happenings in our community, things like that, but also be a resource um, to our community and be able to learn alongside different folks as well has just remained a blessing. And so I think, you know, as we've continued to talk about um, you know, migrants coming into the area and how we're trying to respond and be of service and help and navigate some of those nuances um, has has been something that we've continuously talked about and still, you know, trying to figure out. Um, but thankful that we've been an organization that in this time has been able to collaborate with other people and other organizations to figure out how we can come together and not do things in silos, um, which is very huge for me. Yeah, I think that's that's such a foundational value of BFJN, like this collaboration piece. And I think, yeah, it's really come up recently. We have been in conversations. We hope to be able to share more with our community soon, but like with other faith leaders who are kind of leading this idea of engagement and how can we support um, the migrant communities who are now housed in three different places um, inside the city limits of Boston um, in terms of what volunteer activities might be helpful, what donations are needed, um, what ways can we be present for that community? And it's just such a complicated situation. Um, sitting in on different meetings, you know, like whether it's the mayor's office or the governor's office, because it's state and city learning about the shelter system, what the state runs and what the city runs. Um, but it is really encouraging to see so many um, organiz faith organizations, um, churches and synagogues and um, wanting to get, get involved, even if the path to involvement is a little bit complicated. Um, it's been encouraging to me to see like how many people are like, yes, we want to help. We have this resource or that resource and we want to share. So that's that's really beautiful to see. And I think, yeah, a big blessing of our work that we get to um, engage with people who are just really invested in seeing that justice is done, whatever that looks like. Right. So, yeah. And then thinking about the podcast too, like just being able to uplift stories like that. I do think, yeah, it was just, just a little over a year ago that we started this as a shift from our uncomfortable conversations, just wanting to continue that, but in a different way, the platform is so flexible, but I just think I've come to see one of the most valuable things for me out of those conversations and when you listen to Sarah's story, um, which is what our episode is today, um, it really came out like just hearing people's journeys, the way in which they were called to sometimes different things, sometimes multiple roles over the course of their lives or even in the moment. Um, and they were gifted and equipped and the knowledge that they have and the passion they have for what they do 
I think it's such a valuable thing to see that like we all come to what we do in different ways. We take different paths and our pursuit of Jesus and justice looks different and that's okay. And it's actually beautiful. And so I've really appreciated that about the past couple conversations I've had. Um, like I said, Sarah's that's this episode. And I just had another one today that we'll be sharing in a few weeks that was just very similarly encouraging to just hear brothers and sisters in Christ talking about how God called them and um, how they were touched and led and equipped and all the different um, twists and turns on the way. I, I love that about the podcast. Yeah, that's so true. And I think not that we've like arrived at like the point of where we are in like service or, you know, in our faith journey, but the different ages, like, it's not like if I'm not where I should be, or if I'm not serving in a way that I feel like called to by, you know, 25 or 30, like I'm doomed because we all have a different journey and we may not stumble. Like we may realize by working for decades, like, oh, wow, this is like something that I need to go deeper in. Or clearly this is the area which I've called to be in because I've been doing it for so long or what have you, but the way in which we just show up and then embrace that at various different ages and trans like points in our life. Um, it's just such a beautiful thing. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And so that's been, so being able to share those stories to the podcast, that's definitely something we have going on. The other thing I'm thinking of that we've been talking about recently, cause it's coming up is our book club. Um, and I'm really, everyone knows we've talked about this a little bit, but like how excited I am about the book we're doing, which is rich Christians in an age of hunger. Um, because the focus area this year is poverty. And this book really grapples comprehensively with what poverty looks like. And now the most recent update of this book is 2015. So like some of the data isn't brand new, but the issues have haven't changed, which is kind of not encouraging. But so it comprehensively talks about the practical realities of poverty and then also really digs deep on the scriptural call to respond and what it looks like for Christians um, to to live out this idea of loving our neighbor and what what that should what that can look like. It's not prescriptive and like here's how everyone needs to live, but it is really challenging and does not like leave any quarter for people to to kind of wiggle away from this idea that we have to wrestle with what it means to be rich Christians in an, it's right there in the title in an age of hunger. Like we live in an age where 20,000 people die every day of preventable causes. And like we live in luxury and abundance. And so how do we reconcile that? And how do we not get mired in like guilt and be overwhelmed by the, the magnitude of the problem, but how do we respond in a way that um, reflects the love of Jesus for his creation and um, his created beings? Yeah, I'm really looking forward to the book clubs as well. And I feel like, you know, as we've talked about before with like, not necessarily BFJ and model, but like the on-ramp and the slow lane, the middle lane, the fast lane of like where we are in our level of awareness or service or like our heart posture, even, you know, I think for me, if Lazarus at the gate was really what had opened my eyes a lot to poverty and like where I am um, in that story and, you know, the things that I have that I may not have um, either been a good steward over or really like taken an appreciation that like I have running water. There's people that, you know, have to travel lengthy distances and the water that they're going to is not even clean and things like that. And, you know, really started to change my viewpoint and my, um, consumerism and my generosity and just like the world. And then with 
the climate justice book that we read, like I would have never focused so deeply in that area if it wasn't for that book and the different perspectives of others that were shared. It's just really been able to open my eyes in a way that is gentle and safe because I think sometimes it can be very difficult navigating certain spaces that you don't know or that there's like so much criticism over or what have you. And so being in these spaces in particular in our book clubs has helped me like in just my heart and growing and like raising the awareness that I have and the courage to also have those conversations with other people that may not be in our book club or like maybe in the church or my friends or my family or what have you. And so I'm looking forward to how this book will be transformative for myself so selfishly as well too. Yeah, no, definitely. And I love that. Just thinking about the the community piece. I think that is such a valuable aspect of these book groups because it's like, yeah, we're all in different places on this journey, but like we come together with this, this expectation of of learning and growing from whatever spot we're at. And especially most recently, the climate change group, like I was just, I same, I was so encouraged to like hear other people, like, this is something I really care about. And I feel like my faith calls me to it. Like, what does that look like? And it was like, yeah, what does that look like? And it's not like, I mean, other than Gary, who has thought more deeply about it than all of us in that group, most of us were just like, had the question and we're like looking to take that next step. And I think I anticipate um, in prayerful hope that like that's what we'll be doing in this book club, right? Like we'll come to it from different places, but we'll be able to encourage each other to just take what does that next step look like in my mm-hmm. life, in your life. Um, right. So I think that will be really good. So if you're listening to this episode before the book club happens, which is it'll be Tuesdays in April, um, definitely go to our website and register for that because we're really excited to share this book, um, which we offer. We send the book to um, the people who are going to participate in the book club. And then, yeah, we can just come together and be a community throughout the month of April and consider these really important and profound ideas, both the practical realities of poverty and, and our call as Christ followers to respond. So I'm excited about that. I'm trying to think what else we have a bunch of micas coming up, which we're excited about. Um, that will be a lot in um, March, April, May, in May, June, and July. There's different pre-sessions and Micah weekends. So that's coming fast, which is kind of hard to imagine. It feels like the new year was yesterday. Mm-hmm. Very much so. Yeah. Uh, we also just finished um, you know, our campaign and supporting Winter Walk when you were saying like our steps. And I'm like, yeah, steps and walking, Winter Walk. Um, which, you know, just a huge shout out and thank you to our community who supported us in, you know, meeting our goal of raising a thousand dollars for all the different organizations that Winter Walk was supporting. Um, I unfortunately wasn't able to be physically there, um, but was definitely in spirit and and very excited to see the different pictures and things because it's just such a beautiful event. Um, and I think another part that I really enjoy about that is hearing stories of people who have been unhoused, who have seen and gained, you know, support and love from our community and how we can continue to put our efforts together to support and end homelessness. So yeah. to support those who are struggling with homelessness and to end. Right. To imagine a world without homelessness. Yeah. It, it was such a great event. It was, I think, I think it was close to 4,000 people. And for the first time this year, I helped with registration, which I feel like I've shared with everyone I've talked about, but it was just such a tremendous experience. First of all, it was so organized and well done. Shout out to Amanda, especially, but everyone on the Winter Walk team 
But just to like constantly be checking people in who were excited to be doing something, to be participating in this, um, to be coming together. And, you know, they had their kids and their dogs and like groups of people and college students and older couples. And it was just, yeah, it was really neat to just interact with those people who were just excited to do something, to help make a difference, to listen um, to stories and then to walk around the common and the public garden. So it actually got crowded at times where it was like, I don't know if there's space for us here. And that was kind of a beautiful feeling. That's awesome. That's yeah. Awesome. So I know they were having one in New York. Has that date come? That's, that's this Sunday. Oh, wow. So if yep. there's anybody listening from New York, there's still time probably to register if you want to walk in New York or take a quick trip. There you know, you can go to Winter Walk. <laughs> go to go to Winter Walk 2, 2.0. Um, yeah, it's the second, I think the second time they've been in New York City. So it's it's definitely on a smaller scale just because it hasn't grown as much as the Boston one has. But yeah, it's really neat that they're doing it there too. And they, of course, there's the out in Springfield too, I think was the week before the Boston one. So it's you know, obviously homelessness is an issue that affects literally everywhere, but um, especially cities in different parts of the country. So it's just neat to see them expand and going into different places. So yeah, a great organization, Winter Walk. So that's like a not so brief summary of probably not even everything we've got going on. But yeah, it's just, it's exciting. It's exciting to be stepping into the places the Lord has called us and to see what he continues to do with with this community. Absolutely. Looking forward to the rest of 2024. Not that this will be the last time we talk in 2024, but it just feels like so much is unfolding this year. All right. So definitely stay uh, and listen to this conversation with Sarah. She is a member of the Faith Leaders for Housing Justice group, um, and she is um, a ch- she serves as a community chaplain uh, in the South End. And she just has a really tremendous story, again, about how the Lord called her, how he continues to use her. And she just has an infectious enthusiasm for the service that she does. And I think one of the things I've learned from this group, the Faith Leaders group, is this idea of chaplaincy and accompaniment, what it looks like to accompany communities, uh, vulnerable communities. And um, yeah, they just have a lot to, to teach all of us about that, I think. So yes, stay and listen to my conversation with Sarah. Okay, so this is uh, Boston Faith and Justice's Let's Talk Faith and Justice podcast, and I'm so excited to have a member of um, the Faith Leaders for Housing Justice group here with us, um, Sarah, and she's going to share a little bit about her story, but I just, I've known Sarah now for maybe like two months, and I know that I've talked about this before on the podcast about this group, this Faith Leaders for Housing Justice group, which I'm sure Sarah will talk a little bit about, but I've just been so inspired by the work you guys do the knowledge that you hold and the passion for the work. Um, it's just been really encouraging to me to be able to sit in on your meetings and learn about what you're doing and and different ways that we hopefully can fold um, our BFJN community and the larger Christian community into that work. So thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us. I'm looking forward to people hearing your story. So to start off, will you tell us a little bit about yourself, whatever you want to share, but specifically maybe what what you see as your ministry now? Like, what are you what are you doing? Okay. Well, first of all, thank you so much for inviting me. Um, and uh, I'm, I've heard about um, Faith and Justice, um, um, Boston Faith and Justice quite a while, but have just really recently gotten to really know you a little tiny bit. And uh, I will get to know you more, I'm sure. Absolutely. So um, I know you, I mean, I we came across you interacting together mainly on the Wednesday morning 
um, meetings that we have with the Leaders for Faith and Justice. No, Leaders for Housing Justice. And we are a collection of people, um, and each one does something different. So I am a, a community chaplain. Um, what I do mostly is <laughs> I'm a community chaplain, and particularly in the South End and with the, the community that is experiencing um, housing instability. Um, and also, it's been called, you know, Mass and Cass area, which mm. has had a little, um, has had a lot of press. Uh, and unfortunately, they think of it as a as a place rather than thinking about it being people. In mm. Oh, yeah, that that's really helpful, because as someone who's sort of newer to this issue and again, learning so much from you guys, that's really powerful that you say that, like thinking of mass and cast like, yeah, I think of it as a place and in the way you all speak of it and interact it's it yeah it's it's people and i think that is such a really important framing that you bring to this conversation so thank you for that will you talk a little bit about what you what a chaplain is i know we talked about this in the group a little bit too like not everyone knows what's what's chaplaincy what do, what do chaplains do right so chaplains are people that come alongside someone usually at a time that is a crisis or a very bad time for them um hospitals have chaplains prisons have chaplains well i think that people need <laughs> need that same kind of accompaniment that same kind of attention personal one on one um either before they go to prison or after they uh get out of the hospital i mean mm. people need that anywhere, especially if they've had adverse situations, which everybody's had some. Every, in fact, there's an amazing number and percentage of people who actually have had interaction with chaplains, mostly in hospitals. And, you know, again, mostly when you're like either very bored or you've got a serious uh, medical situation. Anyway, what I do is... Um, I actually go to different shelters, overnight shelters. The Woods Mullen is the woman's shelter. Um, it's up by Massa Medical. I go to 112 Southampton. That's the men's shelter. In both of those, uh, I do groups. Uh, one is in the morning. Um, well, it's actually in flux in time. The Woods Mullen, we do journaling uh, in and I do always with other people. So I have two wonderful volunteers that go to the women's um, shelter with me and um, three gentlemen that go to the 112 Southampton. I sort of organize and steer and <laughs> that sort of thing. I'm, I think one of my gifts is I gather people to do something. Um, and then I go to, so on those Two places we do groups and I've been doing it for quite a while so like I know the staff and mm -hmm. I feel like a, a chaplain is a person who also in my situation um and I think in every situation really ministers and relates to staff as well as mm -hmm. guests or the clients or whatever well, yeah, so, that, yeah um I also I'm a uh, I like to, I like to relate to people in 
actually tangible things. I think a, a, a chaplain is concerned about spiritual, social, and practical needs. Um, and so I go and actually, I've got a couple of people that go with me to Woods, uh, to Boston Healthcare for the homeless um, medical shelter, and we cut hair twice a month. Oh, wow. And, you know, really off so often when somebody's ready to make a change in their life, just across the board, they get a haircut. <laughs> or don't you know if you can get your hair under control, you can say, okay, now I can move on to some other part of my life. Yes. Oh my gosh. I absolutely relate to that. I often, two of my sisters are stylists and now I'm thinking about how I can volunteer them. Um, but when they do my hair, I'm like, new hair, new life. Like it really is a powerful thing. And I think that's also one of those really tangible things that for those of us um, that have a lot of privilege, we maybe don't think about how that's not available in some spaces um, and what the power of that small, what to us is a small and everyday thing um, can bring. So that's really helpful to understand that particular tangible thing. That's good because I have somebody, they asked me at the Healthcare for the Homeless, a second site um, that's in Jamaica Plain, they asked me to come and do haircuts there. And I have to get two more people <laughs> on board. I'll teach anybody how to do emergency haircuts. Okay. Well, I, I'm really ready to volunteer my sister. So let's, let's talk okay. more about that. Yeah. Well, they're, they're legit. So I'm yes. <laughs> I can bring all the skills. Um, okay. So that's, that's another piece of, of the work you do with an example of the practical. And there's, there's um, another day shelter. Um, and it's called the Car Number Data Center. And what's interesting about that is I can I go there as a volunteer. I cut hair, but um, I work with this other organization, Boston Share Network, that has provided funds for getting uh, replacement IDs or people getting their IDs. Mm. So um, I have a number, and they can call me and get an appointment. Uh, for the ID clinic, there's one appointment, one o'clock on Wednesdays, and two Wednesdays a month. Um, everybody can come at that one o'clock. But anyway, I go there, but I cut hair there, waiting for the people for the IDs coming. Uh, okay, but uh, that's really interesting because you really, again, are finding uh, meeting a person at a time when they're like ready to do something, but something's holding them back, and mm. being able to um, distribute these funds at that particular moment. It was really, you know, I've ended up praying with people, um, for, you know, they're have to get an ID so they can get on a bus so they can go to a funeral. Um, they need an ID so they can finish their job applications. Um, one guy had just got out of jail and he wanted to, you know, quickly get his ID so that he could um, buy some Christmas presents for his son. It's the first time in nine years that he'd actually had Christmas with his sons. Those, you know, there's touching moments all along. So, um, basically those are, those are sort of my route. Um, and, um, and then the, one of the things I'm doing with the faith leaders for housing justice, which is just so fun is I believe that 
just knowing the people. No, actually, at the women's shelter one time, somebody said to me, just looked up and said, man, I just wish we could, we could do stuff like normal people and not be stuck here in the shelter. And that's because people need to stay there or feel that they need to stay there until they get their bed assigned. But mm. then they waited so long or they had to wake up so early that they end up going to, you know, go to their bed or they need to sort of carve out their, you know, put their belongings and sort of get situated. Um, so a good part of the day is waiting. Uh, and then once they get their bed, they need to stay in. They can't go out and come back. So it's... um I can see how people feel stuck. And then, I mean, that's sort of on a daily basis and then not being able to get um, a place. So anyway, um, I've, we, I've planned out a year's worth of, um, of activities. And so our next trip is going to an, the aquarium. Again, I want to go to places where people can get to by themselves, where they can get... Um, you know, get the tickets free or reduced or reasonable or do things that um, don't even cost much just to kind of remember how to one, how to have fun, uh, that there's other things beyond the immediate horizon. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I love that. And I know you've talked about that in the group and, you know, everybody sharing the all the things I know last time you guys went bowling, right? Right. And the aquarium's coming up and you have some amazing things planned. And again, this is just learning from you all. Like that wouldn't have occurred to me. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, I think a lot about the practical stuff. Some of the stuff you've mentioned, but a lot of the stuff you've mentioned, I also definitely didn't know. But like just this idea that like we're people and people like to be social or be entertained or do something different and how complicated it is to be unhoused. Uh, the systems, and again, like this is something I'm vaguely familiar with, learning more with you all. But like, yeah, you have to be in line to to get your bed and you have to know where to go. And then sometimes if you have appointments here and there and it's it's so complicated, you think, oh, this is just people are homeless and they just sit around. And it's it's just so good to learn from people who walk alongside um, people who are unhoused and are in relationship um, with people who have or are experiencing it to learn. Um, and then maybe feel braver about, okay, maybe I could, you know, step in and do something and participate. So I just really appreciate that. Um, so I guess two related questions thinking one, how long have you been doing what you're doing now? Kind of that work you just described, and then just share a little bit about how you got here, like a little bit of your journey. Um, okay. So I, I almost have to do that in reverse order because I came to Boston in 76. Um, I worked at a bilingual Christian bookstore, Spanish and English bookstore. Um, and I do speak Spanish. I can defend myself in Spanish. Um, that ministry was way more than just books. It was really like welcoming because it was a huge wave of immigrants coming in, starting new churches uh, in Boston, and they would come to the bookstore and get things. And we had a clothing closet there as well because so many people came um, 
you know, from a warm climate and had no idea how cold it was or just, you know, the whole, just the way you dress is totally different here. Um, And so that element was always there. And I would actually go and translate for people sometimes because it was, well, I came in 76. So a lot of times they didn't even have like translating services. They would Mm. hospital, they would call the, the, um, people in the laundry to come up and translate, which is totally inappropriate. Um, so anyway, I did that for about 20 years. Um, then I realized that then it, it merged with another bookstore. And I realized that we came as missionaries, that a missionary or in my, in my case in particular, I was there to do something that somebody else wasn't able to be doing. Um, so as the bookstore kind of got more established, then I turned over to Starlight Ministries, which is mm-hmm. a ministry that was part of the Emmanuel Gospel Center. So I worked there for since 201 um, through to 219, I guess. Um, and so that was a place where we... Um, we had a drop-in center, but we also did outreach. I used to drive this huge van when we'd have like um, clothing in there and soup out the back, and we would serve uh-huh. soup out of Harvard Square at Harvard Square in the back. Um, and uh, it was a great time, you know. We would do that uh, in the evening. Um, then we also had a drop-in center at at the Emanuel Gospel Center, and that was really a great place and we would get to know people and that's when I started doing haircuts and stuff like that um as time went on um just different changes um and Emmanuel Gossel Center moved to Dorchester which was a good thing Um, we sold the building to that's going to become housing yes in the south end so that's good awesome yeah Uh, low-income housing um and also there was just sort of some realignment of things. And so, and um, they, Manual Gospel Center did more, um, but more initiatives and in helping church do, different churches do different um, ministries, outreach, you know, sort of impact there as opposed to running and maintaining a whole program. Because we didn't have it, we just didn't have the staff or the infrastructure to run the program, a program, especially in the new location. Mm. Um, so what we did is we transferred just the drop-in center part over to Lion of Judah, um, and um, so they when we had that there, that was there quite a while. Then COVID came and that kind of dissipated. <laughs> um, just we couldn't do that. But that really brought me to, so all along this time, I was moving towards um, towards being a chaplain because mm. I did not want to be like a case manager <laughs> the rest of my life. <laughs> yeah. um, so um, I was actually a community uh, chaplain still when I, or back when I was uh, at Starlight. And my church commissioned me as a uh, community chaplain, 
which brings me now that um, I work along with people at um, Congregation Line of Judah in their Miracle Mile Ministries. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm part of that leadership. Um, I do with other people. I don't do anything by myself. Um, with other people, run a, a clothing ministry. Um, and I do sort of a coaching along with other folks, you know, with leadership, because there's always new people coming in and sort of adding a little um, background. I actually, you asked earlier, what is a community chaplain? So I have, um, I'm sort of developing a website and I've made the definition um, community chaplains, a faith-based community chaplain provides spiritual care, practical help for people during a time of stress or trouble. We do this by meeting people individually or in groups where they are, be it at home, in shelter, hospital, prison, or on the street or elsewhere in the community. Um, that's sort of a just a real basic description of what a community chaplain is. So here I am. So one one other thing is um, a very dangerous time for people that have been uh, experiencing homelessness is just when they get into their house. And so I do uh, quite a bit um, as God gives me specific individuals do follow up uh, Mm -hmm. with people um, for that very, you know, it's the skills that it takes to survive on the street are totally different from the skill that it takes to live in a house and community. Okay. Um, I was going to say what, what makes it the most dangerous time. So that that's one piece, just, it's an entirely different set of skills. Um, and yeah, well, can you just say a little more? Gotten, you've gotten used to living with a whole bunch of people mm. and there's certain structures as faulty as they are. Um, and all of a sudden you're alone by yourself um and if people don't have a tv i mean that's like the tv and the phone are like the absolute minimum of what a person needs um some people you know even even after they've been um homeless or especially if they've just lived outside um they won't even sleep on their bed for a while it just you know it's it's not um, or or they'll have an apartment and still stay at the shelter for a while until they really get used to it. Um, it's crazy, but it's, it makes total sense. It, as you explained it, it definitely does. And it, just thinking again how important that work of accompaniment that you do is, is in that in that moment. Um, yeah, so that's that's really helpful to understand. Um, thank you. So um, thinking about your the work you do now, what would you say, and you can do either or, or both, is the the best and or the hardest thing about the work that you do? Hmm. Well, for me, I love meeting new people. It's just that I get, um, you know, it's exciting when I, and I used to tell my kids, um, I can't go home until I see somebody I know <laughs> on the street or whatever. Um, so that is one of the things I really enjoy. And I think God 
made me that way to prepare me, you know, for this. It would be probably it would be very hard for somebody that isn't made that way. Just yeah. like there are lots of things that are very hard for me because I'd rather be doing that. <laughs> Talk about yes. Oh, I love that. I mean, that's the beauty of the body, right? Like we're not all hands, we're not all mouths. Um, but when we're able to come together and work, then all the all the things get done. Yeah. One of the hardest things is when you see somebody who's really made good progress. Um and and then they relapse or they fall away and stuff. And that's that's really hard. Um Yeah. Yeah, I could see that. Um Okay. So thinking about, again, the work that you do and, and this ministry that you have and this passion that you have, what would you, how would you encourage people to engage with this work? Like, are there specific opportunities that you know of that's like, here's a thinking more like an on-ramp experience, like entry level, um, or even like, here's where you need to go to learn more. What would you share with people who are like, this sounds like something I want to engage in? What, what are some good first steps? Okay. Um, well, I'd love to talk to people about what, what they're interested in. I think one thing is God never wastes anything. You know, if you have any kind of preparation for any kind of thing, you know, God can use it sometimes. It doesn't mean he's going to use it every minute or anything, but, you know, don't ever, um, one, don't ever think that ministry is just going to seminary or just uh you know xyz ministry is what it what you're doing whatever you're doing to the honor and glory of god and mm -hmm. he will put people in your in your way that you can relate to and so sometimes you may you know if you go to a same coffee shop or something and see someone on a regular basis just you know Relating to them as you would relate to a colleague when you just introduce yourself. Um, it, you know, you would want to do it appropriately. You know, you wouldn't like the first time and like, you know, do I have a deal for you? <laughs> you know, <laughs> what I mean is a lot of times friendships are like you develop a friendship just like you do any person. You you know, you listen, you, you know, you interact as people. So um, that's one thing. Mm -hmm. uh, but to actually, I, but, you know, that's sometimes it's intimidating when you feel like you're totally out of, out of your normal orbit. Um, so like find an outreach group that is working with somebody and, and go and observe. So mm -hmm. we have lots of, um, opportunities to observe and participate at Miracle Mile and their Saturday morning uh Saturday morning ministry. Um so that um is something you sign up to come to. Um it's early eight to ten thirty um on Saturday mornings and that's every Saturday morning. Okay. Uh, um I welcome visitors to come along with me. Um, I do that. I go during the days on Wednesday, um, Thursday night. I go, yeah, certainly just give me a call. 
Okay. Um, Park Street also has a uh, uh, outreach ministry. Um, right now, I'm I'm helping gather some people, um, volunteers. Well, no, I'm gathering actually people who are experiencing housing instability to come to a Saturday morning. Um, they call it rest stop. A Saturday morning breakfast put on the by the um, Forest Hills Covenant Church. It, that church is so gifted in hospitality, um, and so they in the past have for many years had like a wonderful Easter dinner with cup, you know, with actually cups and saucers and tablecloths on the table and stuff. And um, so um, they're going to start it again because it had sort of a hiatus there for a bit. Um, so they're looking for volunteers uh, and that's a very structured situation. Basically you come and you eat with people and you um, play games and have conversation. Um, and it's, it's not as full and as, I mean, the, the miracle mile is a full, we're, we're getting like, we got 79 people um guests coming in and we had over 50 volunteers which is a little much so <laughs> i like to spread it out you know um and and what i would really love is a church that has like a bible study group um or a home church or whatever you're calling their you know monthly time uh to dedicate one to actually providing uh, a meal and some fellowship for another group. Um, and I can, I can help set that up for you. So halfway houses, people uh, may be experiencing homelessness, got into a transitional house, which would be, a, they call it SRO, single room occupancy. Okay. And so it's a smaller group. And what's interesting is since they're coming from all their different uh, shelters or whatever um, they tend to not sit down and eat together but if somebody comes in and brings some food in and starts conversation then they'll eat together so it's, it's kind of a different thing um, um, that's, that's amazing that's so many wonderful things that are happening first of all which is just encouraging to know how many people are you know, participating and engaging, but ways that people can plug in. We, I mean, your information is on BFJN's website um, under the Faith Leaders for Housing Justice. So people can connect with you that way. And then, um, yeah, we can share some of this stuff specifically. I know we, um, our service learning experience, our MICAs, we've worked with Miracle Mile once or twice, and it's been a really great experience for our volunteers because they just, they know how to sort of um, bring volunteers in and help kind of understand the situation there's a little bit of a like a um onboarding and then empowering them to to engage and to understand one thing i like about miracle mile and i think park street does this too with their ministry is like it's just this ministry of like sometimes yeah you're going to be serving but sometimes just like sit down and eat and like like you've talked about engage in conversation and just be like a human with other humans yeah um, and that's just a beautiful thing to like we don't always have to be doing there is plenty of stuff to do, but sometimes it's just about being in relationships. So I appreciate that. Um, 
yeah, I, I'm someone who needs a reminder of that being like when you're saying you just love meeting new people. I'm it's terrifying to me as an introvert. Like, yes, God has gifted us differently. I love that that lights you up and makes you happy. Um, it's so awesome that there are people like that. Um, like you said, we're all different. Yeah. Um, yeah, this has been such a great conversation. Is there anything else that like if, you know, you were just talking to someone um, and kind of helping them understand this issue, as you guys often do for me in, in the Wednesday morning groups, Um is there something that like you wish more people knew or understood about what it means to be housing insecure specifically here in Boston or anything that's like kind of something basic that you feel like this is I've learned this and I wish more people understood it. I guess in some ways. Well, one, I guess one thing definitely is being housing insecure is a description of your state and not a, it's not your identity and even people who are in that situation have sort of taken it as an identity uh i, I remember especially when i when we had our drop in center people would come to me and would tell me all these things that are wrong with them sort of the idea like the more things wrong that are wrong with me the more you'll help me, you know, mm -hmm. just, which is again, you know, sort of not going by who I am, but, but my, you know, they're like determined or uh, feel like they're identified by all these problems. And that will give you, um, give them more attention. Whereas really to actually be able to just talk with person in, as a, as a friend, you know, person to person is, and especially because people are sort of herded around if they live in a shelter and to have just individual conversation is, is really good. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, on the haircuts and in so many other things, I've learned more from, you know, from the people about resources. I learned from the folks themselves, you know, People have resources. People know about resources. Sometimes they need encouragement to, to, um, to actually try again because you know things didn't work out <laughs> the first time, or just encouragement to stick stick through. And then there are times when they don't they don't know what the resources are. But it's more like that's why walking with someone or uh, encouraging someone along the way is really more effective than just having a huge amount of lists of resources. Mm. Um, yeah, that makes sense. But yeah. you know, we want to like, oh, we can fix it. You can't fix it. Yeah. You have to let them fix it. Right. Know that they have they have the ability to to, you know, they can do something, especially, you know, if you introduce them to the Lord that God's going to, God's going to see him through and somehow, you know, so. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Thank you for that, that word. That's, that's really powerful. And um, I appreciate you talking to us. I love hearing your story and I love having the opportunity to share it with our community. So okay. thank you so much. All right. All right.